From reviews to rankings, the big picture is all things movies. From in-depth analysis of the latest flick to sit-down interviews with some of the biggest movie stars and filmmakers on the planet, Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins have got you covered. Check out the big picture on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Prestige TV pod. It is the final succession precap. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined by the full fat Pope, Big Waz, and we are taking <laughs> Susan Sontag to the drive-thru. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, man, I'm just chilling. I just like equality. That's all, Chris. <laughs> just treat me as an equal as they would in the great country of Sweden, home of our bosses. We love Sweden on this podcast. It was. Um, I, you know, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, Sunday night, obviously there was a lot of chatter, a lot of like, uh, attention being paid to succession. We'll get into that. And I think I hit you up Monday morning and I was like, you know, what's your take? Where, where's your head at? And you were just like, the internet has been down. <laughs> I haven't watched yet. Did you, did you wind up getting the episode spoiled for you before you watched it? Only one thing got spoiled, obviously, <laughs> you know. The junk pick that sent that got sent around the world um, that was spoiled, but I, I'm I, I'm happy to report that the anticipation of knowing it was going to happen, I still was I, I was screaming in here. I like just <laughs> just Culkin's like acting right there of yeah. just like oh. Uh, uh, and like his shamelessness kicking into it was it was perfect. I laughed anyway. So let's start with the one question that everybody is asking, which is how did Dasha from Red Scare get an invitation to this Tuscan wedding? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's actually uh, whether or not Kendall survived the episode. Uh, obviously, um, this was uh, something that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I think everybody had been sort of waiting for something. Not that, not that the season hasn't been substantial, but something really big to happen. It usually happens around this time of year for succession. And this was very unexpected. There's been a lot of debate about uh, 
those final few bubbles being blown into the pool. And obviously the publication of this huge Jeremy Strong profile in The New Yorker feels a little bit like, uh, and now my watch has ended, you know, like my time here is done. But for you, man, what did you think as the episode ended? Were you watching the end of that character or something else? I, I mean, Succession hasn't killed anybody yet. And so that never even crossed my mind, right? And I have a confession to make. Um, reading through that profile makes me think that he's probably not going to die. Because when he's talking about studying Daniel Day-Lewis, um, if you watch his films, like, he's kind of fucking with us. The whole time. Yes. Yeah. And I think... I think... Jeremy Strong saying that he spent all this time with Daniel Day-Lewis and sort of learned at his knee, that makes me think he's fucking with us. Like, if you watch Phantom Thread or There Will Be Blood, there's like a a knowing wink to those characters, I think. That's my interpretation. Sure, sure. And I think there's a through line between that and even just how Paul Thomas Anderson likes to tell stories where it's like, Am I joking? Am I not? Like, that keep you off balance. Even I was watching The Master the other day. And Joaquin Phoenix, it feels like he's giving a comedic performance sometimes, right? Which makes me think that, like, this dude's trolling us. Yeah, like, I mean, too I Too much it's... of this felt so meta, reading that profile. Like, this guy is fucking with us. So, it, th- there's two sides of this. One is that, why not just run the piece next Sunday and be like, now that his character is dead, here is the Jeremy Strong profile. It's odd to run it the penultimate week, although obviously it hit like the exact right moment because the only thing people have been talking about this week, it seems like, is Jeremy Strong and Kendall and Jeremy Strong's performance and whether or not Jeremy Strong would be like a good hang or a tough coworker or whatever. The DDL thing is really interesting because I think what you're identifying there is just like a level of commitment. And when you like commit like that, even if you okay, so if you buy at face value the the tales of like I'm I'm building like log cabins to get ready to be in Last of the Mohicans, that that level of commitment inevitably leads you to a place of comedy in some way. You know what I mean? And that when you watch Jeremy Strong, like there's no doubt in my mind that Jeremy Strong has probably been listening to nothing but Showbiz and AG for like six years, preparing to be Kendall. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he's not, he's just like so committed to it that it is going to come off in a comedic way. My thing was like, I talked about this with Greenwald. I just don't know what Kendall does. If he's alive, I don't know what's next for Kendall. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know dramatically and narratively what you do with a character who's been so completely and totally ostracized. It's, you know, sure, you could just rewrite him back into like the family business and have him sort of be like in the mix and in those board meetings and going on little trips with Roman and Shiv and stuff like that. But this feels like that that shoe that we were waiting to have drop. Yeah, you know, it's funny, man. Like I purposely avoid succession chatter before I come on here so as not to steal too many people's takes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't realize people think that he's actually going to die. Uh, I, I I just don't think it's that literal. Um, this is a show that's constantly fucking with us. So maybe I'm too conspiratorial here in my thinking. I just think this is more this is more funny than anything. Like again, 
Dasha from Red Scare talking about podcasting on Succession. I, like, what else am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Right? Uh, Kendall has basically a Vanity Fair profile in the beginning of the season. And now Jeremy Strong has one in which he's saying this show is not a comedy to him. What am I supposed to do with that, Chris? Like, it feels like I'm being fucked with. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely... You're through the looking glass a little bit with it. And you're right. Like, I think that Succession makes a lot of, like, knowing nods to its core constituency. You know what I mean? They play to the base, as it were, where they're just like, we know that the people who watch this show probably listen to podcasts or probably know about, like, who, uh, you know, like, who would get profiled or how they would get profiled in the Times or in Vanity Fair or something like that. Did you think that Kendall's conversation with Logan felt like the last conversation that they would have. I, no, I, I didn't I don't think that's any closure. I thought that was man, I that was one of the best scenes I've ever seen on TV in my whole I life. Completely agree. I completely agree. Of just real talk. <laughs> like yeah. real talk, like no pretenses of just like all right, like we since we're doing this cutting each other down to size and you know, you and I have, we're old enough that we've had some real talks with the people closest in our lives before, mm-hmm. right? And there's always that moment where it's like, okay, you, you're you using this opportun- this conversation as an opportunity to tell me about myself. All right, let me tell you about yourself real quick. Dude that I just kept out of jail. Dude that I provided the most lavish, luxurious life for. Dude who's never done a goddamn thing on his own. Let me tell you about who you are in relation to me. Like, that felt like real talk. I don't know that it has to be the final conversation. It just felt like, yo, let's let's get our cards on the table real quick here. Because it mirrored the conversation that Shiv had with her mom. You yeah. feel me? It, it yeah. just felt like this is what people do when they're really close to each other and they're at an impasse. Both of those scenes, I thought were the hallmark of both of them is how like unsuccession-y they were. They were really, really well written. But there is an energy that comes when it's like five people standing around Logan and just being like, oh yeah, like putting in your dick hole and like your dick hole goes into your ear hole. And like, they, right. it's just like, like one liner, one liner, one liner. And it's like, it's obviously we love it, but there was something so quiet about the Logan Kendall exchange. And so devastating because I think Kendall thinks that he's playing like this card here that he's just like, look, like I know what this is and you know what this is. And I don't like, I'm not, I, I, I still love you, but I can't be a part of this anymore. And you won. And that's supposed to be like his big monologue, his big, like, this is your big closing statement. And Logan's just like, you're a murderer. Like, what do you, you, you can, you can judge me all you want, but you just let a dude drown to death. And, you know, like, obviously, like the symmetry is there, like Kendall allowing someone or not saving someone from drowning and drowning himself. I mean, a lot of the kind of more writerly aspects of it, I think, all point in the direction of that being the final scene with Kendall. You know, the Twitter detectives are out in full force, breaking down frame by frame. You know, whether or not you can see the top of Jeremy Strong's head in any of the scenes from next week that we've got coming on Sunday. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I was pretty convinced on Sunday night and Monday morning. I was like, this is definitely the case. Like, he is not, com- he, is di- he died in, in that scene. 
And now I, I feel like it's just been too many days. It's almost like a football team where you're like, I've now outthought myself about Jalen Hurts, right. and now I'm back in on him being good. <laughs> Again, uh, like, this has not been a kill people off show, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Brian Cox, I forget where he gave the interview. He was like, I mean, they could kill me, but they'd probably miss me. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, he, he said that in public. Um, like, we could kill Kendall, but we would sorely miss him, right? And I think, you know, you you asked Andy the question of what where, where else can we go with this character? I mean, these guys are talented enough. I'm not going to doubt their ability to keep us on our toes and keep us interested. And again, to just refer back to that New Yorker article, like I'm reading it honestly as if Brian Cox and Kiernan Culkin were giving interviews to Between Two Ferns. That's how it felt <laughs> reading it. I, like maybe I'm just too cynical and paranoid. Maybe that's the case, but I read it as funny. Yeah. I, like to me, it makes watching Kendall funnier to think that Jeremy Strong just like Kendall is like this try-hard theater kid doing way too much than is necessary to do this completely unserious job. I'm sorry. I love movies and TV as much as anybody else. These motherfuckers aren't curing cancer, right? Like the idea Oh, but if you know would... enough actors, you know how many of them think that they are, though. You know what I right. mean? Where they're just like, yeah, you know, thanks for asking me. I did, I did send the first man into space, so it's really important because you were right. just like... On a, on a TV show at 10 o'clock on, on HBO, yeah. And Chris, that makes the show funnier to me. Like, this all makes everything funnier. And I think what you're talking about, about the Logan scene, I think the scene when they were on Montauk and, like, the camera just lingered in silence. I think those moments are made more potent by the dick pics. Like, mm -hmm. I really do think that... We can't have a show that's all, you know, the last scene at the birthday party. That's all Logan cutting Kendall down to size, right? If we do, like, then we're just getting into, like, leftovers territory where it's all just fucking sad and fucking morose. And just, like, really? Do we really want to do that week by week? We need the levity in order to ground some of these other more serious discussions. And not just the discussions... But again, like the serious, like these serious tropes that the show hits on, um, you know, I think about uh, Roman's conversation with his mom and she's explaining to him the class structure vis-a-vis -vis her and this dude that she's about to marry. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, he's not posh. He's actually one of these lowly scholarship getting motherfuckers. <laughs> he got a scholarship to Oxford. He wasn't bred for Oxford. He's not of our world. He got a damn scholarship. He snuck in through the back door. It's by him legitimately earning it, right? Yeah. Um, the so show that he can, so so that he can then go on to start nursing home. Right. <laughs> Fraud. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The show does so much to talk to us about class consciousness, which again is something that I'm obviously interested in, but I don't think it's is very prominent in American culture, both political and pop culture-wise. I remember listening to you and Andy one time on a on a um, podcast, and I forget what y'all was talking about, and you guys were talking about a show, like, actually addressing, like, that people are poor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, most shows don't address, like, people need money for rent and for babysitters and for this. And you guys were like, that shit is not in our culture. I think the no, show it, does I think a lot to do that. we've just grown accustomed to that being bad TV. If somebody's just like, I can't afford a car. Like, that's like, no, I need you to be in the car 
Because that's that's a cool scene. You know what I mean? I need you to always have something to eat. I need you always to know where your next check is coming from. You know, I mean, like, I think, I think that that's not why people watch TV traditionally, for better or for worse, right. you know? Um, there were a lot of really inf- interesting confrontations over the course of this episode, so I thought we could talk about a few of them. <laughs> the one that was just, like, honestly, like, I, I don't know if my blood was, like, what what it was turning into it, but it definitely like just stopped pumping through my veins was during the two Shiv and Tom scenes, both the, the quote, I guess the sex scene and then the morning after scene. (laughs) And I just was like, this is, this is just so uncomfortable, like in a way that is so deliriously delightful where you're just like, they're, you know, they're in this amazing picturesque Italian village and you know, like everything is gorgeous. Like the f- the cinematography is amazing, and they are just just destroying one another, Bruh. So, I have a confession. I hate sex scenes in media. Okay, it's always clunky and weird, and like, you know, if you watch like a comedy, like the people are always fighting and throwing stuff, and like when they're kissing, they're like they're like banging <laughs> each other's faces, and I'm just like. What? I remember at a certain point, Chris, I got to confess, I was like, is this how white people fuck? (laughs) I remember thinking that when I was younger. Like, wait, what? why is this? Like, I always am made uncomfortable by sex scenes depicted in media, like 98% of the time, right? Uh And then there's this- Is like, does basic instinct go into the 2% or is that in the 98%? Oh, that's in the 2%. Yeah. (laughs) Sarah Stone is in the, the well. I mean, the once you're on a pod with her, I, I just figured you understood her work in a more deep way now. You know, so the shift thing starts off like weird, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is such a weird way to like set up with like a sex scene, and then it started getting like, wait, is this hot? Yeah, <laughs> that was just brilliant how they played that, and they've been setting up this idea that like. You know, Tom is basically being cucked yes. by Shiv. And then they finally do it in that way. And I thought that was genius. And then the conversation about it, which most shows would have had that scene. And there would have been a, a, a like a, you know, like a glancing passing blow. There would have been a punchline. Yeah. Yeah. A punchline. They they freaking reconstructed it play by play. I was like, this is so brutal. It was brilliant. Um, they, the part where he's just like, yeah, you know, I thought like maybe it get some love beads or I dress up like a fireman. <laughs> it's like, that's not her kink. Her kink is destroying you because the only time she's ever been sincerely interested in Tom was when he withheld his affection for her in the beginning of the season. And he was just like, oh, thanks for telling me you love me. I, I appreciate which, that. Which by the way, that sh- scene, well, that, that scene is foreshadowed by the conversation that Shiv has with her mom where the mom describes Logan as being like, are you kidding me? All he ever wants to do is kick the things that love him yes. to yeah. watch them crawl back. And that's what Shiv just fucking just does to Tom all the freaking time. That's what her and Logan have in common, this sort of carry in the stick type of thing that she's constantly doing to this dude. And he just can't get enough of it. It's... Good thing I'm 34 years old. I can handle this. (laughs) (laughs) Another one of the the sort of confrontations or couples that I really enjoyed this episode, but also so far this season has been Lucas and Roman. 
has been the, the Swedish tech entrepreneur and Roman. And, and, you know, Roman has been courting a lot of different people over the last this season, especially like Jared from the presidential uh, episode, the presidential selection episode. And, um, and now Lucas. And man, I just, there was something that really, they really do get that sort of CEO speak, that kind of high level business talk where it's like, him being like, I'm only interested in failure and pounding that shit out. That is like the thing that you hear like on the, the balcony of Soho House one night. You know what I mean? Of course. Is some guy just being like, yeah, I'm only interested in failure. What did you make of uh, both the, the scene at Lake Geneva between the two of them, but also like that guy pumping up his stock by doing a reckless tweet, Elon Musk style? You know, it, it's funny. I, I, I liked reading... Roman in that scene because he's like legitimately intellectually stimulated and curious yeah. about this guy. You can see Kiernan Culkin processing the information in real time. And he's like, okay, I'm putting the pieces together about what kind. I mean, you're sick, but I'm interested. I'm I'm interested in figuring out this jigsaw puzzle that is whatever your needs and wants are. And that's what what struck me the most about that scene is like watching Roman, like you see his skill set being put to use. Like most people would just be like, this dude is fucking gross. This is weird, right? Like this really depressed, unhappy dude, which is, you know, one of the key themes of succession. Like these people who have everything They're all are miserable. the most deeply unhappy yeah. people on planet earth. Um, This really unhappy, unpleasant dude. But like, what does he want? What drives him? What makes him tick? And, you know, the part where he's like, what, you know, what do you fail at? And he's like, are you out of your mind? You I'm think I would ever that. tell you that? <laughs> like, do I look like a big fucking idiot to you? Uh, I, that's what kind of drew me into that scene was Roman's just intellectual, just legitimate curiosity. It was kind of crazy. I think it's amazing that Roman's, uh, Roman assuming the absolute worst about humanity has actually come in so handy for him this season. You know, both in the... The helping pick the Jared Mankin character to be the the presidential candidate, and then this and this whole ordeal with Lucas, it's like you know some people would walk into that like the way you walk into a job interview, and they're like, "Tell us your biggest flaw," and you're like, "Oh, I'm a perfectionist," right. you know, like, but like he's just like, "I'm not fucking telling you what I'm bad at." You're immediately going to turn that around at me, you know. Um, Roman gets pretty close to the sun. You think he's maybe maybe sort of eclipsed his Icarus, his Icarus standpoint. But then like at the end, well, here's the thing is that like, I think that the, the dick pic situation is, is objectively like, was just like one of the most like hysterical scenes I've seen in a TV show in a really long time. Ever. But the whole point of it is that there actually are no consequences. You know right. what I mean? There's that like his dad's like, you're a fucking sicko. She's a million years old. And he, and he throws Jerry under the bus, like in, in like two seconds flat. Yeah, and the thing is, to me, what what I also took out of that was, like, the consequences of working with your family. Like, that showed, like, anybody else would have been fired. Like, it's right. it's over for you, right? Like, but this is my kid. I can't really be rid of him. It's not that big of a deal. Jerry's a good soul. It's just, but, like, you could tell Logan was just like, why do I do this shit? Right. <laughs> right. Like, Can I have one I normal kid? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, why do I even employ these kids? Like, he's just like, this is absurd. This is so clearly not what you should be doing. But like, you're my son and I have to deal with it. So it kind of shows you like the consequences for Logan of putting his family 
you know, making them a part of some of this stuff. And, I, you know, again, like the family motifs, always the stuff that most interests me because, like, there's a way that he talks about the Swedish dude, Madsen, mm-hmm. and he just never talks. Like, you could tell he doesn't have that glint in his eye. Like, he sees that dude as a peer. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, like, he did make a fucking thing that's worth a lot of fucking money. Right. Right. That and he's like, I respect the us. fact like, he that he went didn't show up did for that. this meeting. Yeah, right. 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 As opposed to Shiv, who gets on the board that she was so thirsty to be on, and now she's taking the meetings in her pajamas from her crib. Like, it's just like they're they're always doing the great example of like showing you what he respects and why. Like, these kids have done dick all ever in their whole lives. (laughs) And then there's other people like the Pierces, like Madsen, who who Logan is like, whatever, like. At the very least, he can respect their accomplishments. Whereas his kids are just like, they've never done dick. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, we can, we could talk a little bit. We don't have to get too predictive. Obviously, we've discussed whether or not we think Kendall's going to pop out of that pool and we were a little bit of split decision there. But what are you kind of looking for as a conclusion for this season? Like, are there any things that you're particularly interested in having answered or addressed before we, we wrap up the season? Um, man, they've, they've kind of, um, put some bows on some things, right? Like, I think from season one to now, up until this date, Shiv going from the smart, obvious, best, brightest one to the most vapid, like that's been, I I feel like they've completed that turn. And cutthroat. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's the, actually the worst of all of them. Like actually the worst and you know roman being like secretly the best for the job and kendall being a tender dude but ultimately a fuck up and like all of the, like we wish that shiv was as you know emotionally intelligent as far as the ceo world as roman was but still as tender as as uh as kendall is and we wish they all had these different characteristics, but like Shiv's completion, I feel like a lot of this stuff is complete. Like yeah. Shiv sucks completely, utterly. There are no redeeming qualities about this character who they they tricked us into thinking was this heroine who we should root for. Like she's the worst of right. all of them. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I think with the kids and with Logan specifically, They've shown us who these people are. They could put us in different positions or in different scenarios where we let the characters sort of be themselves and let the drama unfold out of that. But, like, they've unmasked these people in ways that I find to be super interesting. And, like, even, like, thinking back on all the shit that we've seen for three seasons now, I was thinking the other day, and I was like, yo, Logan might be the best companion of the family, like he's like the if best you're husband. gonna date any of them, yeah. yeah. Like, how is Logan the best? That's crazy yeah. to me, you know. Like, it's it's so crazy, like how they've again along the way just added these little wrinkles to each and every single person and just revealing who they are, what motivates them, and what ultimately makes them them at their core is so dope. Uh, unwrap unpacking the season again. I hate I hate these questions, Chris, because I don't come into these episodes with no, expectations. I, right. I mean, I think that that's kind of been the interesting thing about Succession, though, is because when you watch Breaking Bad or when you watch 
you know, maybe a another experience. a more genre based show that has like a destination that it's just a matter of when they get there and how. Then that's like that's an experience. When you're watching something like Succession, there's no reason why Succession can't run for twelve seasons. You know what I mean? I would watch, I would watch this show, and I would watch these you know, some combination of these people. And frankly, even if you wanted to introduce new big characters, like if Kendall were to be gone from the show in some capacity or another, like I'm, I have no objections to like Alexander Skarsgård having like a major role on the show. I would be Fuck fascinated you. to watch that. <laughs> I would be fascinated to see Brody on this show a lot more. Like I, I'm, right. I'm okay with that. I think that there is like, that that's a really interesting kind of way to approach it because it is in this sort of prestige TV zone where I think people do game out like, oh, what's happening? What's going to happen on this show? What, is, what are the consequences of certain actions or certain events? And you know, losing a major character would be a really consequential thing. And it would allow the show to maybe refresh its, its sort of, I don't know, the roadmap or the, or the, or the landscape on the fly. Yeah, and also there's a in between ground here, right? Like, obviously people have taken notice to Jeremy Strong's acting chops. This could just mean he's on break from the fucking show. Yeah. Right? To go work on something else. And then, you know, he'll come back at a later date and on the show, they'll say he's, you know, in Arizona or Sedona somewhere fucking rehabbing or doing whatever the fuck it is rich people do, right? Scream like, therapy. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's on the table too. And if he's not in the first eight seasons, episodes, excuse me, of season four, I'm completely fine with that. This show isn't... I think the, the one thing that does sort of anchor the show is Logan mm -hmm. and everybody's relationship to him because he's at the fulcrum, the center of the power on the show, I think that would be a tough thing to sort of re-anchor, reorient the show around, not having Logan around. But Jeremy Strong taking a hike for a few episodes or even a season while he does God knows what. While well, he reestablishes in his internship with Al Pacino or whatever he was doing. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite part of the New Yorker story is where it was like Jeremy Strong almost bankrupted a theater company to like pay for a fake award for Al Pacino. <laughs> So he could hang out with him one weekend and pick his brain. Like, I respect it's amazing. It. And again, like, all of this stuff about, like, I studied the masters. I studied Pacino and Hoffman and Day-Lewis. It's just like, bro, really? Like, <laughs> you really <laughs> you really need to an apprenticeship uh, from X, Y, and Z to execute a good TV character. To me, that just means you're not that good at what you do. Well, like, that was, honestly. that's the whole, like, the Kieran Culkin promo run recently has been almost better than the New Yorker one because, like, every time you see a Jeremy Strong thing where he's like, I had to go out, like, I had to literally go back in time to go to the tunnel to understand Kendall's hip-hop roots. <laughs> then Kieran Culkin's like, it's called acting. You know what I mean? Or, like, you know, you should just, like, just... Just try reading the lines and maybe Bro, rehearsing and, once or twice. And, and yo, these lip again, this interview, if you just these little tidbits about I grew up in an all-black neighborhood, I had to shed the jerseys and gold chains. It's like these ridiculous elements that exist within Kendall's character, right? Like it's all there. That's why I feel like I'm being spoofed here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you and getting ready for these episodes over the course of the season. Uh, you can catch Waz on group chat. You can catch him on Full Court Fits on the Ringers YouTube show. 
I'm on the watch. I'm on uh, the answer on Fridays, and I'm usually on the watch uh, rewatchables and the Prestige TV pod. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing us. Waz, thanks for joining me, man. I'll see you on the other side. Chris, I'm, I want to know: Are you the skunk, the porcupine, or the concubine in this trio here? You know I'm the concubine. <laughs> Later, man. My boy. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.